0: you. Mm-hmm.
1: Welcome to the one within all to another episode of the Universe podcast. And man, it is great to be back in the saddle again after a nice summer break. It's been about two weeks since we had any streams or episodes and we've got quite a great return for you guys. We're going to be doing a tuning a tuner on tuner talk. <laughs> you know, I can't get enough of delving into the arcana of our aura. And in this case, we're going to be going as far back as our imaginations can stretch as we explore the Ancestral River aspect of our biofield with the innovator of biofield tuning in the Ancestral River, Carla Adams. Carla has recently blessed the world with a brand new book called Ancestral River, a spiritual journey for the living and the dead. It released on Amazon only two days ago, July 28th is a great read. You can probably breeze through it in a day if you really want. Nice and easy and fascinating. She takes you along her own healing journey as she explores the deeper and deeper layers of both her own existence and the cosmos's entirety at large. Very fascinating story that will help you learn about the essential elements that the ancestors require to transition into the oneness and the Practice of holding that is connecting with your own descendants and fostering a powerful bond. And most importantly, this book helps us understand that we are not merely physical beings, but beings of energy and spirit capable of stepping into our true power as integral parts of the universe. So this is going to be a great conversation for those who've been interested in all the biofield tuning stuff that I've talked about over time. And granted that we're back after a couple week break. I appreciate anybody that's jumped in and here live with us giving a share out to their Telegram groups or to a personal friend in a direct message, somebody who you think would enjoy this conversation and help me get that algorithm traction back in shape. <laughs> so we are ready to delve in with the ancestral tuner herself, Carla Adams. Welcome to the universe and thank you for being here.
0: Great. Well, thank you, Chance. And hello, everybody. I'm glad to be here tonight. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I've gotten to know you quite well after going through your very fun book. But I'd love for you to help us learn a little more about your story, the maybe challenges that led you to the place you are now and how you've integrated those traumas and and challenges in order to become one of the most innovative biofield tuners that I've ever known.
0: Oh, well, that's a great compliment. Thank you so much. well, it hasn't been very long ago that I learned biofield tuning. Um, Same here. My husband and I had, were homesteading off grid um, about four years ago. And it had been a dream that we'd had for a long, long time. And we'd say save the money and were able to pay cash for everything and, and bought the land and were trying to develop it and, I, I couldn't do it. It was like I hit my bottom emotionally, and because of things that had happened several years earlier, I had just kind of pushed through it and gone on with our life. And because of that, I I couldn't push anymore. And and it was like I knew I had to my children were grown and out of college and on their own. And it was like I, I had to heal. I had to take care of those things that had bothered me all my life and find out who I was and find find a career or a um, a help of some kind that I could help myself and help others with. And so we moved off the homestead, and within 30 days probably, I heard an interview of Eileen Day-McCusick and learned about the tuning forks, and I knew immediately that was what I needed to do.
1: Was that when she was on Crow in like 2019?
0: Um, No, she was on. Now, she may have been on Crow earlier, but I know she was on Crow in 2020, two weeks before I was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think she was on a little earlier than that too, but I just, I I bring that up because I remember specifically hearing Eileen talking about tuning forks around 2019 on Crow triple seven and the bells rung inside me and I knew I needed to pursue that.
0: Yeah, no, I heard her. um, It was on some kind of like an electric universe model webinar thing run by Christine. I don't know. I can't remember names anyway. And so it was several people, you know, I learned about different other energy work of different kinds and, and learned about the electric universe for the first time in my life. And it was like, cause I'm, I'm old school. I'm 62 this year. So it's like, um, everything was new. But I had to do it, and I had the last – I was in the last, I believe, live class before everything shut down for COVID. So um, so I just started learning it and, and beginning healing myself. But at the same time, I was researching as much as I could on the Internet to to learn about how our minds work and – and how these um, pockets of old stories in our biofields had got stuck there in the first place, right? So I was trying to learn both sides of it, and and you know I grew up in a Christian home and in that faith, and I I had been thinking, you know, I've uh, thought at different times trying to figure out well what the what does sin really is and what the tree of uh, of apples really was and what was going on there as far as eating an apple and why that was so bad and, and, you know, different things like this. And so I, it dawned on me that Adam and Eve, um, whether they were real or not, you know, it told the story of them or other people who were, had that formative mindset and it believed whatever it was told. And it, it heard law, it heard false things and internalized them and believed them. And, um, And And then
1: that's where we've been from there. (laughs) (laughs) We've been on limiting stories for quite some time.
0: Yes, yes, for a long time. And so it don't. I just for the first time in my life, I just. I mean, I had always talked to God or uh, the Spirit, but it was like I thought I was just so touched with thinking that well, that was all it was that if they believed the lies their mind developed to protect them. It was like I, I just felt so felt so much because that's what had happened to me, and so I just said, you know, Eve, if you're real, I want you to know, I know, you know, it, it wasn't your fault, and I had a response from the universe. I, there was an angel there, and there was later there was orbs of light all around me. It was the ancestors who had had that same story, right, and. um and so I then my next step was it was like, well, I tune myself and others, um, not just for the old stories, but also for um, the damage caused to our electric bodies because of. Electromagnetic currents that aren't helpful to us, right? That are surround us in the world. And so I thought, well, they're totally spirit and they're in that all the time. It's like they probably need it too, right? So I started tuning, I called it the restoration group. I started tuning this group of orbs of light who were ancestors who were already in the oneness, or I assumed it was heaven. And so That's how I got started tuning and started in with ancestors. And it wasn't more than three or four weeks that I had tuned them that my grandfather came and stood in front of me in my kitchen. And he had been dead 25 years. And it was I was scared. And if it wouldn't have been my grandfather, you know, I probably would have just um, never had anything more to do with biofilm something at all, <laughs> but it was because I never learned about it, right? And and so it's not taught. And so um, anyway, Grandpa wanted help to get to the oneness. He said he needed my help, and so I learned how to help, and that led to system. I realized, well, if all his stuff is in me. Then all my ancestors stuff is in me and in everyone. And so I systematically for myself went through each ancestor back to uh, through the fourth generation because I had access to their names and things through information on both sides of my family. And so I, I cleared for them and I found out what patterns each of them had that were mine. And we helped each other and I helped them into the oneness. And then I wanted to find out, well, what was the oneness? And so that started more explorations.
1: Yeah, there's plenty to explore just in what you've laid out so far. You know, I'd like to maybe touch on the process of learning how to become a biofield tuning practitioner, because it's interesting to me that both of us have pretty close to the same time picked up the forks and started this process I actually didn't go through any training or certification the in my opinion it's such an intuitive thing there's such a concrete reality to the biofield and the information stored in it as Eileen explains in her books that while I don't I would never tell someone not to get training or certification Mm -hmm. the fact is I think that way, way more people could be doing this than currently are. And the learning curve to going from never done it before to being able to do it in a way that is pretty dang helpful <laughs> is actually kind of short in, in my experience. So can you talk about that learning curve and, you know, what, how, how soon in the process, maybe you started going into ancestor tuning?
0: Well, I had ordered my forks, got my uh, tuning forks and some um, ex- um, beginning um, tuning. And I'd signed up for like a seven-part course to um, help begin my listening to those that Eileen had done to clear things in me in prep, preparing to um, be for class because then I thought, well, I could understand more. And really my main purpose was I thought maybe I can clear most of my really bad junk before I go to class so no one will know what my bad junk is. (laughs) That was really my purpose. And all I think it did to do was serve to shake it up enough that everything poured out in class. (laughs) And um, so... Uh, yes. I So I experimented on my husband and my one of my kids and stuff like this, a friend or two, before I went to the beginning class. And then after the beginning class, I didn't do any regular tunings before I started the restoration group. So I was exploring before I was doing regular tunings, except for just uh, the basic on myself or my husband. So... Um for me, the the big part is is in at the same time I had joined this other course. there was a twelve month course. it was um, your year of Miracles is put on by Marcy Scheinhoff and Dr. Sue Mortar and Lisa Gar. and it's still running today. It's an annual thing. and then later that year, I took a, a class from Dr. Sue Mortar as well. but, I learned that the air around us or the the ether, right? The light field of light through which all the light waves flow isn't just air, right? There's space between all the particles or there'd just be one big blob, right? So there has to be space between all the light particles and that space is spirit. And when I tune into spirit, that's how I tune in. It's prayer, right? Basically, to me, it's communing with God or the universal spirit. As I say now, I don't like to use the word God now, but a lot of people do. And that's how, you know, they feel toward the same thing. So I I use what terminology people can understand more.
1: I can comfortably use the word, but I'm fully aware that another definition of God is judge or magistrate. (laughs) So like, that's not the supreme being in my, you know, that's not how it's a title, really. I like to say supreme being because that's more like being is a verb. You know, it's the supreme being. It's the all existing as an unfolding, continuing, eternal, uh, thing, thingness, not even thingness. It's a happeningness.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's right. But. Um, I don't even really like to use the word creator because we co-create, right? Or we are so much a part of it. But what, um, I think, I think of it not, I mean, yes, a supreme, I don't even know if supreme is the right word because what I find is that, okay, just like each of us, right? We're made of light particles that make up s- molecules, that make up cells, that make up tissues and organs and our body. But we're more than a body because we're a sentient being, right? We're a spirit living in a body. Or with enough um, energy particles condensed enough, we can see a body, right? And so I see God or the the... The spirit as the sum total of all the parts in the universe, but more than the sum total because it's the, the personality, the being, the, the, the being, the awareness, the, the um, non-hierarchical, loving, free choice, abundant mindset that, that is love
1: that which gives animate life and life force to the all the all being
0: yes, yes. <laughs> the all being yeah really yeah or sometimes i say the whole <laughs> um but like i said it's, it's only the whole if it's like i use the word universe to mean all the parts of the universe where i use universal spirit or i in my personal life i have a a name You know, we chose a word. My husband and I chose a word to a a name for this being so we can feel relating more personably because we're so integral and intimate.
1: I like your name because you have Adam in it. So that's like taking us back to the beginning. (laughs)
0: Yeah, <laughs> and also, that's
1: true. <laughs> the car and Carla is a word that etymologically relates to the heart, you know, or like wow. a, the hinge of a door is another idea.
0: So oh, that's true. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's me. Um, but that reminded me. I meant the heart because I wanted to say. Um, the name of my business is Ancestral River, and the name of the book is Ancestral River. But in biofield tuning, in the biofield anatomy that Eileen had created, um, there are, str- str- or named, mapped out, I should say, the, um, there are streams of energy, right, on both sides of our body that are called Ancestral Rivers. That was the name that was kind of, they were dubbed with or um, given. To, and yes, I work in that stream, but um, probably more than in those, I work in the ancestral field, which is beyond our own biofield.
1: Can but, we actually maybe even give a little more articulation to to that? I think it's a good idea. Sure, so I'm but pretty I sure. Just, oh, go ahead. I yeah. to do
0: one more thing, though. That, to me, when I use the word ancestral river, I'm not referring to those streams of river i'm referring to that that open hearted stream of love that connects us with past present and future
1: that the <laughs> <laughs> there is literally a stream of love connecting us to the past because nobody got here without that love. <laughs> that's right. how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's why yeah. right, too. One of the older names of the Savior, in terms of like the the Trinity concept of um, the more ancient mystery schools, would have been Eros, as in like Eros is the fa- the uh, son of the goddess and the god or the androgen being because Eros mm-hmm. is the type of love that causes you know, (laughs) reproduction. And in a sense, that's the savior because that spark that is generated of attraction between mom and dad, you know, if we didn't have that attractive spark or that Eros, then none of us would be here. That's what saves humanity, is what causes humanity to carry forward in the future. But so you're talking about a bigger, bigger ancestral river than what is maybe within somebody's own approximately six foot bubble space of their own biofield. And I right. run into the, um, you know, the more basic version of the Ancestral River pretty commonly, and it is useful to know where that's at in your field. It's about, I would say, correct me if you have a different opinion, but it's about one third of the distance of their total energy field away from the body, maybe about two feet I away.
0: Actually, well, I think like in the, the class, what I remember is like it's approximately 10 inches away from the edge of your body. But, um, so much depends on our intention. Right. And so, yeah, um,
1: I think I have my own version of the biofield anatomy in a way based on like what I decide is where in my space where I do tunings is also how I get the cue and the communication of like, what is there. So That's, I guess maybe yeah. I've put my ancestral rivers in a different spot <laughs> in a way, but it's a it's kind of like a language. And once you have the language determined and decided, your body can give you the cues and your mind can give you the cues based on the working model you're using. And in that way, even the biofield anatomy as a concept, I considered a language. And so it's in a way imaginary, the way that, you know, a tree is not actually called tree by, you know, in reality, it just is. It's an I am. And the biofield anatomy is a similar thing. It's, it's imaginary in a sense, but language is imaginary, yet we can convey truth to each other through it in an invaluable capacity. So yeah, yeah, maybe I have a little bit of a funky ancestral river placement in my practice, but it works for me.
0: Oh, no, I think what I do is, um, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. So much depends on our intention. And where I expect it to be is right off the side of my massage table. (laughs) And, or like if I want to find organs or other things in the field, it's like, I hold the intention, you know, that I'm shown where it is and I, and I am shown where it is and I find it. And then, then I always back that up and saying, and if I'm not quite in the right place, the hologram is shifting to be exactly where I need it to be. (laughs) That
1: sounds about right. Uh, Yeah. It really is that way though. Like intention and, and like the repetition of doing lots of tunings helps really solidify that intention. You know, I even associate certain fork frequencies with certain energy centers in the same way. Like, so I don't have to tell myself I'm working on this chakra center. I just pick up the fork that in my mind long ago, I decided means I'm working on that energy center and it does. And that works pretty well for me too. But let's, uh, I'd love to talk about, you know, let's actually get your your definition of the biofield anatomy and how tuning works and what it is. You know, I'm, I'm curious because of the fact that all of us practitioners have probably developed a bit of our own working model of things, you know, for maybe people that are not as well versed in this as some of the long-term listeners would be, can you tell us in your own words, what, what we're talking about when we talk about our our biofield.
0: <laughs> well it's it's the part of the ether around us that contains our mind or the memories and emotions and thought patterns unique to us. There are usually you know, again, it's the intention. It's from what I've learned, but I also seem to find it even when I have an open mind, that the edge of the biofield is approximately um, usually six to seven feet away, I would think, where I find it. Sometimes it's closer. Sometimes it's further away. But, um, and then, of course, there's the, it's a toroid shape, so it goes up and around. And in the uh, uh, joins at the chakra about a 10 to 12 inches above your crown. And again, at the bottom, about 10 to 12 inches below your feet, being the centers of your central channel where you, the energy around the edge of your biofield uh, conge- uh, comes together and separates again. And we're like rings on a tree. the the outer edge is conception, um, then there's gestation, and then there's birth. Those are all real close together. And then it's like rings on a tree are ages um, from from that birth to present day at the edge of our body. Um, and mm, I don't know beyond that, because I was being put uh, real, very early, even Oh, I had, when I cleared my grandfather, so he was, had whatever it was he needed to transition into the the oneness, because at that point, I didn't know really what the oneness was. I was assuming it was heaven, but um, he seemed to make it there, but... I didn't know where it was and everything. And so, but shortly after that, I was starting to be pulled out in tunings, trading tunings with other uh, tuners or um, with people I had been clients I was starting to work with. I was being called out further and further. So it was beyond that edge. I would find the edge, but my eyes. Would be told it was like my energy. I would see something and bam, it was further than that, and I would go wherever my eyes were stuck in the field and hold my fork there, and there was that dissonance there that I was supposed to clear. I had no further
1: idea. out than six feet.
0: Definitely, yeah. The um, and so I um, had gone online and found other biofield tuners and um, that were connected with other practitioners or students of biofield tuning. And I asked them, hey, what in the world this is? You know, we're not taught this in class. It's like, what what am I dealing with? What is this? And thankfully one of them was willing to explain what they had found. And beyond our own biofield that has the record of our own life is another field that extends uh, approximately up to 35 feet away from our body that contains the all the life records of all our ancestors back to the end of time and I've so that's where I started working more and more often then I once I found out about that then then I was consistently and I still am today not every session some sessions I work um you know I listen to the spirit i I have an angel that joins me usually, and it's like or you could say it's maybe just the energy in the field, but it's like, okay, I know that energy presence is right here and where am I working today? Bam. And I start there. and um,
1: so I have this like for me, one of the ways that it works a little differently is, well, I listen for the dissonance in the sound, too, because that's such a helpful, like just an awareness tool. Like if you're focusing in on the sound and listening, you're not getting distracted by thinking about what you're going to have for lunch after the session. But yeah. I have for, for me, what started happening pretty early in my practice was that when I hit pockets of stagnant life force, I would feel a pressure differential shift in my ears and in my head. And my ears would even click or pop or like a click would happen inside of my skull somewhere. <laughs> and eventually I realized like it was every time if I hit like or what I was looking for, I should say, when I I realized that I could expand that to like anything, actually, whatever I'm I ask the question, I'm looking for what I'm looking for. And I get this signal in my head and in my ears. That's a very, like, to me, it's a click. I literally hear a click and a pop in my head. Pretty handy to the point where I can even, like, lay, (laughs) lay out tarot cards and point at the cards one at a time. And there'll be one that clicks. And then I, then I use that card or, you know, cheat at, cheat at games.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not really really cheat, but like, what would
1: be my luckiest? choice right now and uh and not even it even works for that but my point in saying that is you know there's what you described as having your own guidance system that that came in and has been consistent for you that that shows you where to go and where to work you know i think people might hear us talk about that type of thing and be like well i don't have those abilities or i can't talk to an angel or what whatever they're however they're hearing it but the the real truth is. If you just practice and you just try and you just listen and you pay attention and you ask for the guidance to come in the form that is right and best for you, you're going to develop your own version of this superpower of of awareness, whether it's a physical bodily sensation or you just get really in tune to the subtleties of what you're hearing with the fork. A lot of practitioners, that's the case for them. Or you have like an angel <laughs> hanging out in the room with you, pointing you in the right direction. You know, I think anything's possible. I, uh, I once, I once experienced a seance, uh, inadvertently as, as a medium, uh, <laughs> got <laughs> selected to be the medium. And at one point I literally felt invisible arms on my shoulders and turn me and point me in the direction of who I was supposed to like give a message to. Like I literally felt something grab my shoulders gently and turn me physically. Like I was, <laughs> so it was, it was like, uh, it was wild, you know? So what is possible? You, you have no idea what's possible for you to be able to do until you start trying. So like the reason I have conversations like this with you, apart from it being fascinating. And I want to learn from what you've learned is because I want Everyone out there, even if you just get one tuning fork, pick up a fork, practice. We have this ability, you know, and they're the best tool I've ever found for training and honing that energetic sensitivity, apart from maybe something like Qigong, which in conjunction, the two, you're going to be unstoppable. So yeah, I just wanted to make sure and give that uh, encouragement to everyone out there that you don't have to be, you don't have, your superpower doesn't have to work the way mine or Carla's does, but you do have it. It's just going to be coming through in your way.
0: And I don't. Yes, I I do listen to the fork, but I've had years and years and years of um, sinus allergy problems, which is probably related to worry and regret right on either side of my head. Um, But. I think it's because of that that my hearing isn't as good as I would like it to be. And so that even though yes I listen to the sound of the forks I can't always uh lots of times I I well I guess I've gotten better but lots of times I don't even recognize a, a dissonance or a um exactly what it is I'm encountering in the fork right
1: I'm the same way you just you just know in a different way
0: well I'm a feeler right and so it's like my biofield feels it and so all that energy that my fork is picking up runs through my body and so like I feel that emotion or I feel extreme dissonance or I feel uh, really angry or but then when it clears it's it's like my body becomes suddenly quiet. So I know, okay, it's time to move on.
1: That's a good way to describe it too. I've occasionally had the, occasionally I've had the emotion come through more viscerally, but I mostly just ask my body to stay neutral and my emotions to stay neutral. But it's however works for you. You know, if it's very effective for you to just sort of feel the feeling as the the translator of the other person's body. That's great. Now let's, uh, you know, I want to talk about this idea of the hologram that you brought up and that you described in your book. One thing I had intended to do for a long time and for some reason never got around to it was to do a self tuning using the exact same method I would do for a client remotely, putting myself on the table. <laughs> imaginarily, holographically, and uh, after reading your book, and you talk about all the different tunings you did for yourself, I realized, mm-hmm. man, I am, you know, is it like a fear of my own success or a fear of actually getting better on some of my own problems that has stopped me from doing it? I don't know, but today I did that exact thing. I oh,
0: good. good. I
1: tuned my own hologram, and it was fascinating because as I was, I did it exactly like I would do as if I was the client. Every step of the way. And like, as I was getting ready to begin, I felt all this, uh, like fear <laughs> build up, like, like there was something inside me that was like, no, don't, <laughs> don't, don't get rid of all of the, you know, stuff you're holding on to. because we believe that keeping this, this and the energy off balance, left or right is protecting us. That's what the mind believes. It's a protection method. Anyway, I did this self-tuning on my own hologram. Can you talk about what that, you know, what that entails? Maybe give some people pointers on how to practice on themselves in a more, you know, because that's one of the things about practicing on yourself. People might not realize is, yeah, you can't reach six feet away to get to the edge of your own field, but you can put yourself on the table and, and act accordingly that way.
0: Right. Yeah. I just, um, hold the intention that it's me instead of a a client or whatever. And I proceed in a tuning the same way. Um, I really don't do anything different except, um.
1: And what's it like, you know, what's it like to self tune that way?
0: Well, uh, to me, it's more emotional usually because you can't as clearly separate. Say like when I was talking before, like I could feel those emotions or those energies. Usually I feel them and then they go, You, you know, you go on to the next one or sometimes you don't. You just feel it, but without the passion of it. Right. You just feel what it is, but without passion. But when it's your when it's myself, then it's. Um, separating it's not as easy to do. And so a lot of times I'll be tuning myself and, you know, tears will be streaming down my face um, for whatever part of my life I know I'm stuck in and crying and trying to send love to me at that stage or whatever to help it clear. Um, Let's see.
1: In mine today, I was quite amazed at some of the things that I'd never like put a tuning fork in but thought that I just sort of dealt with in my own awareness of it and realizing no there was a lot of things that you were holding on to still about this and that and most significant for me was actually the birth story and I was um, I was really surprised at how much like hatred and rage I had at the very edge of my biofield, right at the birth point, around things like circumcision, cutting the umbilical cord, yes. whatever other things that go on, shots and stuff in the hospital, and so you know, so you maybe,
0: felt it too. You found it there too. Yeah,
1: it's very strong.
0: <laughs> I, I find I find circumcision a lot when I tune in. Yeah, definitely. It's that's what it is. Yeah, it's. It's a huge in my opinion, it's it's one of the, the worst um misguidances or out direct lies, which however you want to you think it is, to um disservice done to the Western world, right?
1: I know that I did some uh, good for myself today with it though, because usually if the topic even gets brought up in this context, I would actually feel a strong rage reaction. And this time it's come up and we're talking about it and I'm a lot more neutral. I mean, not that I approve it all, but (laughs) it's still the worst thing ever, but it's not a, it's not the trigger (laughs) that it has been in the past. So yeah. Can we talk, talk to us about the birth story in general and how like what that impacts upon the person?
0: Well, I'm glad you asked because that's, I suppose, in general, i wrote well, I wrote my book for two reasons or well more than two reasons, one of them was because I knew it was my inner calling, so to speak of of that was how I could most express my my myself in helping or being uh you know for the highest good of all offering right that people could learn from from my pain but I also think I also wanted people to know because it's taught. I've heard really very very few people refer to what the formative mind again. Uh, they everyone says it begins at birth. Well, that's a that's a bunch of hooey, right? It begins at the moment of conception. Actually, it begins before that because we are we become. Our own beings in the oneness before we join the being the the our, our parents' energies to have a body and so I experienced that um, very intensely several times through hypnosis and um, so the formative mind begins much earlier and the birth story is so so such a, plays an important part because. At that time you're you're not reacting even at birth, it's I mean it starts before at conception because you're the the fetus there the mind right is in the biofield which is in the mother's biofield and you're feeling everything the the mother feels and you're feeling her the vibration of her thoughts and emotions. And what happened to me was I was internalizing them then, just like you do when you're young, and thinking, well, why doesn't – my, my parents loved me and, and always took care of me. I mean, I was wanted and loved, but when they found out they were pregnant – They didn't want to be at that moment because uh, my brother, their first child, wasn't very old yet—just a few months old—and was really colicky, and so it was stressful taking care of the colicky baby. And they didn't want another colicky baby right away. (laughs) And so it's our two at once, right? And so, so there was the emotions that my parents felt, and so I felt fear and rejection and blamed myself. Right, because you don't blame your parents at that age. What something must be wrong with me is what your mind uh, uses as protection. Right, I, I assume that's how it works. I mean, I can't say I know how everything works, and um, it's so important to realize. Uh, that's what I wanted people to to realize from my book that those things those patterns start much earlier than birth and it's very very important that parents know know that so you can begin to uh create a safe place for your child before they're born
1: and also maybe to help their you know them comprehend some of the personality conditioning their own children might have taken on from the Conditions that they came out of Earthwise in, yes. yeah, and it ends up being like kind of literal a lot of the time. So one thing to be you know reflect on if you know that your parents maybe had you really young, like uh, an accidental pregnancy or a teenage pregnancy. There's a lot of ways that might affect you, but to reflect on that, you know, maybe you have a tendency to be afraid of the future or afraid of not having enough or afraid of messing up things like that can often coincide with the energy in the environment of an unplanned, not ready feeling type of pregnancy, whatever the the parents were most strongly feeling anxiety wise about it will often transfer to the the baby. And they will carry that up until the point potentially that they realize, Oh, that's not actually my, that's not my innate personality. (laughs) That's, I was conditioned to be that way. And I think yeah. that's the biggest key to heal, actually healing trauma is not just to see that the trauma was there or know what it felt like, but to notice the pattern of how it conditioned your behavior and personality and to get behind that wall that seemed like it was just who you were and realize it was a choice the whole time. Uh, you know, yes. I've I've seen yes. all kinds of interesting yes. birth stories, like that, it, all the way back to conception. One that comes to mind is uh, a client who was like a test tube baby type of artificial insemination, and so there was no climactic, orgasmic <laughs> fertilization experience, no love in it. You know, it's just the sterile <laughs> swab or whatever they do. I don't know, and they had a personality trait that was coming through really strong in the tuning about expecting disappointment so that they would never be disappointed. And I actually asked Eileen about this. I'm like, have you seen artificial conceptions before? Is there a pattern with that, that, you know, reflects what I just described because it's a letdown, you know, to come into the, come into the womb without all of that big explosive powerful, fun, feel good, orgasmic energy. It's just like, oh, now, now we're here. You know what I mean? So there's like all kinds of possibilities with the birth story. I don't think anybody has a perfect zero, you know, nothing to reflect on life, <laughs> birth included. So it's worth all of right. us to get a little more insight into what kind of choices we actually have about our personality by looking at the birth story or talking about it with our parents, if they're still available.
0: Right. Yeah, definitely. We can learn a lot. Like you said, to to see how we were programmed and that even then it was our choice. If we would have known different, right. If we would have known, known how things really work, we could have chosen a different mindset at that time instead of waiting to
1: were older. And so uh related to the ancestors conversation, because in a way the realm itself is like our first ancestor. One interesting thing about your book is you describe a second, a third, a fourth, you know, and beyond biofields, almost like these nesting dolls type of idea. Yeah. Can you talk to us about the those layers?
0: Um well the The way I the way I found it, I was ex, I was experimenting with my tuning forks and tuning the universe. Basically, I tuned myself and then my ancestral field, and then I was asking, there had to be more, right? Because of how the world is, and so I just asked, well, what would be the the third one we're in, or is there another one? And I to me it it seemed that it was the biofield of nature, and and I'm certain of it within myself now. But, and there might be you know smaller end of other layers too, but that with all within nature. And so the the next big one I experienced was nature. And then I said, well, what's beyond that? Or asked, wanting to know what's beyond that. And that's when I found that the oneness um is a biofield and it's be it's the one beyond nature um it seems to be larger than nature but um but they're still uh so interactive like nature is within that one but the um the sky clock seems to the sun and moon. And stuff so seems to be in its own biofield. That's part of the oneness, but it's at the top, overlaps the top of nature, and into the the top of the the oneness. And the same way at the bottom, there's another um, biofield that contains concentrated uh, pure source energy that, or God's energy that is at the bottom of the the fourth biofield or the biofield of oneness, but it overlaps and is active in the biofield of nature. And then then I said, well, is there a fifth one? And it was like, no, it was like, I, I didn't hear a no, but it was like, instead of filling the containment of another biofield, it was this wonderful unending expanse that never stops.
1: It's kind of like the void. It's like the void in a way. And out of the void comes a pleroma or like a oneness. And then within that oneness is a world, which is our nature. And within that nature is our lineage, the layer of our ancestors. And then within that is our self. And there's probably, you know, more ways to conceptualize it, but it sounds very similar to various like mystery school doctrines of emanation from across time and history that you know I think humans have been able to there's there's sort of a logic to it. You know, it, it you could feel your way into this understanding or you could logic your way into this understanding or a combination of both. But it seems to be <laughs> you know I actually look at it like it's in a way I I kind of think that it's wombs all the way down, <laughs> like just different yeah. layers of womb. And even like the transition out of a out of this body or death is just birth into another body in a way. So, you know, what does the child dream about while it's in the mother's womb? Uh, I think something a lot like this, actually. <laughs> and then <laughs> that dream ends and then you're born and it goes on. I think that there's sort of like an infinite womb portal Hopping from one one dream to the next. You know, that's kind of my take on what this is in a sense. It could be could be something like that.
0: It could be. You know, I don't I get asked um because I work with ancestors, um, but I get asked like about past lives or things, like what you were talking about, you know, going from one life to the next life or whatever. And I have not experienced past lives. Um, and I know I have not had any, but, um, I'm not, that's, I'm not at all saying that they don't exist. Um, I have just not personally found evidence, but I do know from my own experiences, uh, in the biofield work and, um, hypnosis and meditation and stuff that, um, um, the lives of our ancestors can be very very real uh i mean that history is available to us and we were actually because we're light particles and in that stream of love that connects all the generations right we were there with them as they're with us now and so yeah we were we were there in their lives and um
1: actually it'd be a great thing to talk about while we're still in the first hour Maybe give some kind of example or examples of how discerning an ancestor story that constitutes stuck energy allowed maybe yourself or a client to resolve something in their own life by comprehending the ancestor's challenge and then thus also help the ancestor. There's good examples of that in the book, but I know after you put it out on paper, sometimes it's like ah, uh, and you rack your brain for one. So it doesn't have to be like a, a a true example, but you know how how that process works.
0: Well, I I think the perhaps the the ans- some of the ancestral um, thought patterns or tendencies that we're kind of. Um, exhibit greatly in our own lives or have struggle with in our own lives, I, I think sometimes those are like something kicks in for those in the, at that moment of conception or that those little traumas that happen at conception or birth is, is when as something kicks on the DNA for us to actually not just have our own stuck energy of that that anger or that uh, worry or regret or whatever it is, but we receive all the oomph of the ancestral junk with it that makes it so much um, harder to deal with than if we were just dealing with our own. That's what I found in in my own life. Um, but that there's a lot I. I can't think of anything in specific right off.
1: uh, I've got actually, can I give a good example? Just because it's kind of fresh on my mind. Sure. So I had, uh, I did a tuning for two women who were sisters and I actually kind of forgot about the, you know, the experience of the first sister. Uh, You know, you don't necessarily consciously remember every detail of every (laughs) work with the client because you seem... More than one a week and then the weeks passed but essentially they both had a grandmother they shared a grandmother or a great grandmother I think it was just a regular grandmother who had had experience in the like reservation style boarding schools that natives were put in in Canada and this grandmother experienced a lot of different traumas there but in particular difficult sexual trauma and like rape and things of that nature and both of these women, The sisters had a lot of sacral chakra, second chakra, resentment energy that was like above and beyond what should be there for their own personal life experiences. And way earlier, it was there from the beginning as a pattern for both of them. And so to me, like it's anecdotal, of course, but in my in my experience, that was one of the strongest examples for me to point out and say. There's definitely something to working with uh, ancestral (laughs) uh, conditioning. And interestingly enough, in the second sister, the pattern was a lot, was like highly resolved already when we got to it. I think because of having addressed that ancestor with the first sister, you know? So then we were mostly just dealing with, The second sister's own personal buildup of such things and, you know, some lingering traces of what was inherited because what was inherited and the resentment was, you know, primed her to hold a bunch of her own resentment more strongly than a person maybe would without that ancestor condition. So, you know, that's my best example, having very rarely been able to tune people that were related biologically to each other uh, but it gave me a very strong indication that there's definitely something to that to the passing forward
0: oh yeah i think because i i felt uh, you know sadness so so much more and i didn't have anything to be sad with in my life and it wasn't until i was clearing the ancestors that i i found out you know it was from my grandmother she had she had lost a uh, her mother when she was a child and she had lost a child of her own. And it was, you know, it was the great, great sadness. It, it took several tunings of grandma's sadness and tuning my own at the same time, you know, in the same tuning to, um, to clear it, uh, greatly.
1: So Carla, in the last few minutes, before we take our intermission, can you tell people more about the book and, what they might get out of it or what you particularly enjoy to share about it, how they can get it.
0: Um, it right now it's only available on Amazon but and in paperback and Kindle. And for an, today and through August 1st, the Kindle version is free. Um, if And then the, the paperback's available. Eventually I hope to do a hardback. Um, and it probably will be available on other platforms beside Amazon at one time, but it just um, tells my st- tells the story of what I've learned spiritually about about the biofields and the universe and everything, and how how if we don't do our work type of thing to to become to know who we are and to know our value here, then that journey continues in the afterlife.
1: And how can people connect with you if they want to work with you directly? And what type of sessions do you offer? Is it kind of one process or is there a variety of offerings?
0: Well, my website is ancestralriver.com. And with the release of the book, I'm, I'm kind of taking a break from individual tunings for a little bit to um, to see maybe where to go next. What, what I would like to do and what, what I am in the process of working on is, is um, kind of like a DIY ancestral um, clearing where with my help in through the recording um, people can systematically clear their ancestors and um, so that's that's what I'm working on, and so I hope to have that available um, early this fall,
1: very cool, yeah, and in the second half, we will go more into detail about you know what it's like for you to interact with these ancestors, your own personal experiences, maybe get further into the speculative realms and We'll have a great time. So thanks for being here, Carla. I want to give a shout out to some of the Rockfin people, Kylie and Braden, who left me some nice tips tonight. Appreciate that greatly. I will drop a link into the live chat for everyone who's listening to this live to join us on Rockfin for the second half. If they want to hop over there, we'll have a brief musical intermission, give you plenty of time to sign up if you need to. Other than that, you can catch the second part also on my Patreon at patreon.com slash interverse. Um, did you give them? Did you give? Uh, you're not doing sessions right now, right? But do you know when you might start taking them on, or how they can contact you if they do want to, maybe get on uh, on your radar for some time down the line.
0: Um, there you could use the contact box on my river dot com. It's fine. Um, you're
1: good. <laughs> All right, and everyone out there knows they can also get in touch with me for my variety of tuning. <laughs> <laughs> Ever evolving and uh, always interesting, you know, really enjoy this work and I want more people to try it out. And if you're curious what it's like to receive a tuning before you get into learning more or teaching yourself to do it, there's never a wrong time to perfect your <laughs> biological instrument with sound and, and awareness. So we will head over to the second half. Thanks everybody for being here tonight on YouTube. And thanks everybody for listening in the future somewhere to the recording and uh, catch you all on the other side or on the next episode. Much love everybody.